Matthew chapter 4. We'll be looking at verses 12 through the end of the chapter. And as you can probably guess, we're going to be talking about being fishers of men uh, from this passage. I'd like to read it for us as we begin. Matthew chapter 4, starting at verse 12. When Jesus heard that John had been put in prison, he returned to Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum, which is by the lake in the area of Zebulon and Naphtali, to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah, the land of Zebulon and land of Naphtali, by way to the sea, along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. The people living in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, the light has dawned. And from that time on, Jesus began to preach, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon called Peter and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me, Jesus said, and I will make you fishers of men. At once they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. And they were in a boat with their father Zebedee preparing their nets. Jesus called them, and immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. And Jesus went throughout Galilee, teaching in their synagogues, preaching the good news of the kingdom, and healing every disease and sickness among the people. News about him spread all over Syria, and people brought to him all who were ill with various diseases. Those suffering severe pain, the demon-possessed, those having seizures, and the paralyzed. And he healed them. Large crowds from Galilee, the Decapolis, Jerusalem, Judea, and the region across the Jordan followed him. Let's pray. Father, this morning we are grateful for the work that you have done in our life. Thank you that you have called us to be your followers through your word. And I pray that as we think about what that meant for the disciples, we would also consider what that means for us this morning too. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, Stuart Briscoe tells the story of a young colleague of his who was asked to lead a funeral service for a man in his church that had been a veteran in the war. And the funeral was going to be at the local funeral home, and this new uh, colleague wasn't quite acquainted with everything about the funeral home, but he agreed to do the service. And the, man's, the dead man's military friends wanted to have a part in the service that day, and so they asked the young pastor if he would simply kind of lead them down the aisle, pause at the casket for a solemn remembrance, and then if he would just kind of lead them off the platform through a side door, that would be their part in the service and they could continue on. Well, all of that went just fine until he got to the point where the pastor brought them down to the front and then he was going to lead them off to the side and he picked the wrong door. And with military precision, they all marched straight into a broom closet on the side of the funeral home. It kind of had to bid a hasty retreat and a little confusion there as they backed out of that situation. Well, Stuart Briscoe says that story illustrates two points. One, if you're going to lead, make sure you know where you're going. Make sure you know where you're headed. And secondly, if you're going to follow someone, make sure that they know where they're going and what they're doing. 
You see, we live in a world where many people are calling us to follow. Uh, this is the start of an election year. Here, one year ahead of it, we have people campaigning and asking you to follow them and to line up behind what they are saying. But who has the vision to lead us where we need to go as a country or as a state? Entertainers promote their lifestyle and their values, but are they worthy of being followed? And even advertisers want us to buy their products and they tell us how much better our life will be if we have what they are selling. And yet, do we really need what they are offering? Who can we trust? Well, the Bible tells us that there is one person that we can trust above all others, and his name is Jesus. And when he walked on the earth, he called men and women to follow him, and he still does that today. He calls us to follow Him. Why should we follow Jesus? Well, Matthew gives us three reasons in the text that we are going to look at this morning. Number one, we should follow Him because Jesus is the light of the world. He is the light of the world. And we see that in verses 12 to 17. When scholars look at Jesus' ministry, they've traditionally divided it into three years. There was a year of obscurity where Jesus ministered near the Jordan River, across the Jordan, in Judea and Samaria and different places, and his ministry overlapped with John the Baptist. We read about it in John's Gospel, and what's unique about that is really that John's the only one that tells us a little bit about that first year of ministry. In our discipleship track, we call it the come and see phase of ministry. It's where Jesus was inviting people to come and see, come and listen, come and hear who he is and kind of check things out. And in our discipleship pathway, you know, there are people that have not yet made a commitment to Christ. They're thinking or considering it and we invite them to come and see, come and hear and listen to these stories about Jesus. Year two was a year of growing popularity where Jesus ministered primarily in Galilee. And we read in this passage, for example, that large crowds came from all over that region to hear and see Jesus. And they brought to Him those who were sick, wanting Jesus to heal them. Well, that's where Matthew picks up the story here in the passage that we're going to look at. And you'll see that in Mark's Gospel and Luke's Gospel, that they they pick it up at this point in the story. Remember that even John said that there were so many things that Jesus did that if they wrote them all down, there wouldn't be enough books to contain it all? All of the writers of the Gospels were selective in what they chose to put in, and it was under the direction of the Holy Spirit that these men wrote what they did. And so here we see about Jesus' ministry, And this we call the come and follow me phase. It's where people have made this commitment now to Christ to join with him and where he begins to train and equip us to be a disciple. And then the third year was a year of increasing opposition in Judea and Jerusalem that would ultimately lead to his death. Again, in our discipleship pathway, we call it the come and be with me and remain in me phase of ministry where we are increasingly growing closer in our relationship with Christ, learning from Him, and becoming more committed in our faith. So Matthew, as he begins this story, tells us that when Jesus heard that John the Baptist had been arrested by Herod, that he returned to Galilee. 
And Jesus left that area in the south not out of fear because Herod Antipas had built a palace for himself even in Galilee. But he went there in fulfillment of the Scriptures. And Matthew will quote from uh, Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. It's going to be the sixth Old Testament passage that he refers to as he tells about the life of Christ. And uh, he talks about why Jesus went into Galilee. When he left his ministry in the south, he first went to Nazareth, his hometown. And there he would stay with his mother and his brothers who still lived there. It seems that by this time his father Joseph had passed away. But when Jesus spoke in the synagogue in Nazareth, they were offended by his message. Remember, he took the scriptures, he opened it up, he began to read from Isaiah the prophet, and he said, Today these words are fulfilled in your hearing. He was claiming to be the Messiah. And then he went on to speak about the receptivity of the Gentiles. Why were they offended by that? They, they were offended when Jesus spoke of the inclusion of the Gentiles into God's plan in the kingdom. Why was that so offensive to the Jews at that point? Well, if you remember in their history, since 732 B.C., when Assyria came in and destroyed the northern kingdom, and carried off the northern ten tribes of Israel, Galilee had been under Gentile influence. And there had been wave after wave of people that had come in. It was the Assyrians, and then the Babylonians, and then you had the Greeks, and now the Romans that were there. And that was a sore spot to them that they could not rule their own land, but they had this influence of the Gentiles. And so here comes Jesus. And he's preaching of a gospel that is big enough that it is for all people. Well, he, was, he offended the people in Nazareth, and as Luke tells us, they tried to kill him. They tried to throw him off of a cliff, but Jesus walked through their midst unharmed. And Jesus would leave Nazareth, and then he would go to Capernaum by the Sea of Galilee to fulfill what was said through the prophet Isaiah. And we read that here in this passage again, that it would be in the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali by way of the sea along the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles. This would be the area in which Jesus would minister. Now I have a map uh, that I want to show you this morning. I'm actually going to get a a pointer here because it's kind of small in some areas. But you can see on this map of Galilee, um, this is where Nazareth is. And this whole region is known as Galilee, around the Sea of Galilee. This is Capernaum in the north. Uh, Tiberias is one of the capital cities there where Herod Antipas had built a palace for himself. What's interesting about this, the, the capital of Galilee was Sepphoris that was actually over in this area. And it's not on this map because it's not mentioned in Scripture. It's interesting that Jesus never went there to minister. As a young man, when he's learning a trade from his father as a carpenter, he may have gone there because of the building that was going on in that area. But he did not go there to minister. Uh, In one of the recent National Geographics, they had some articles on Sephoris and what they found there. There's actually a Mona Lisa of Sephoris, this beautiful tile mosaic that was found in that area that is... Uh, an indication of the kind of wealth and prosperity that was there. Galilee, to the Jews that were religious, 
felt like, you know, this is really in darkness. Here's this Gentile influence. This isn't where you go to see what God is doing. If you want to understand what God's doing, you go to Jerusalem. That's where God is present. And so they looked down on people who came from Galilee, but Galilee was not a backward place culturally. I mean, there were major cities there that people lived in that had wealth and prosperity. There were about 300,000 people, it's estimated, living in some 200 towns in Galilee at that time. And Jesus and the disciples would travel and minister to many of them. But most of the work that he did, most of the miracles he performed, were there by the Sea of Galilee in Capernaum and Chorazin and Bethsaida. And so that's where this uh, story picks up. And in fulfillment of prophecy, Nazareth, that town, was in the tribal area of Zebulon. Capernaum was in the tribal area of Naphtali. And Galilee, this dark place, was in Gentile hands. And what the Scripture tells us, that it is in this dark place that a light has dawned. Jesus is the light of the world, and He has come into this place. And He begins to preach His message. Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is near. Now you'll recognize that. That's the very same words that was used to describe John the Baptist's message. I mean, Jesus' message is the same as John the Baptist's message. And you know what else? That's the message that we proclaim too. To repent, to turn from your sins and turn to Christ because the kingdom of heaven is near. That God has broken into our world. I mean, that's what Christmas is all about. That's what we celebrate at this time of year that the light of Christ has entered into our world and because of that, something very significant has changed. There's a way to find forgiveness of sins. There's a way to find real hope and real joy and real peace in life. It is through our relationship with Christ. Turn to Him. Turn from your sin and turn to Christ today. Jesus is the light of the world. Secondly, why should we follow Jesus? Well, we see in the Scripture that Jesus calls us into a personal relationship with Him. He wants us to know Him personally. This is not some indifferent God who stands far off and remote from His people. This is a God who has come near to us, who understands our needs and invites us to join Him in this personal relationship. And again, we see that in verses 18 through 22. As Jesus was walking beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. And they were casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. These brothers are commercial fishermen. It's what many people did on the Sea of Galilee. It is a a small sea, if you will. In Hebrew, the word sea can refer to a lake. In Greek, they preferred the word lake. That's why Matthew writes to a Jewish audience, he's calling it the Sea of Galilee. Luke writes to more of a Gentile audience, he calls it Lake Gennesaret. It's the same same sea, same lake, if you will. And there were many who were commercial fishermen. When I read this passage, what I found interesting about it is the descriptions of their fishing and the nets that they used. And I'll just share a little bit and not go too far down this rabbit trail because I don't want to miss the point of what he's saying. But um, 
You know, Peter and Andrew are using a net that was about 20, 25 feet in circumference. It took two people to throw it. It was weighted with rocks that would take this net down to the bottom. They would cast it out, and like a big uh, kind of container, you know, it would drop down and it would capture the fish. And when they pulled it up, it would cinch at the bottom, be drawn together, and they would bring in their catch of the day. They're out there fishing like they have done for years. And he walks along and he sees them and he says, Come and follow me and I will make you fishers of men. I will make you just as proficient in catching men as you have been at catching fish. Come and follow me. And he goes on from there and then he sees two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and his brother John, and they're in a boat with their father Zebedee. Uh, the other Gospels tell us there were other hired hands with them. This is a large operation as these men are commercial fishermen again and they're using a net that's more like a gill net. could be 100, 150 feet that they would put out at night between these boats and then they would gather it up and they would mend it during the day. That's what they're doing here. When it says they're preparing their nets, they're actually mending their nets uh, during the morning hours as they're working on that to make sure that it's in good repair to use again that night. And Jesus sees them and He calls them to come and follow Me. And in both cases we read that at once or immediately they left their nets, they left their father, they left their livelihood and they joined to follow Jesus. That's amazing. Now, if we think back to those different years of ministry, it helps us to understand how they could do that. This wasn't the first time that they had seen Jesus. It wasn't the first time that they had heard Him call. But it had come to the point where now Jesus was selecting those who would be with Him in a closer relationship, and the disciples answered that call. Jesus calls us into that kind of personal relationship too. I want to share some observations on uh, discipleship at this point. We see how Jesus called them and how Jesus also calls us. And that was actually unusual what Jesus did as a rabbi here. Normally, the disciple chose the rabbi that he wanted to align with. The student chose the teacher, if you will, that they wanted to follow. Not with Jesus. It is Jesus who called them to be his disciples. In fact, he will tell them that in John 15. He said, you did not choose me, but I chose you. And I chose you. I appointed you to go and bear much fruit and so that your fruit would remain. Now, that, that's significant. I mean, it is Jesus who takes the initiative with us too. None of us would seek Him out unless we heard His call. None of us would turn to Him because of our sin, our pride, our rebellion, unless we heard God calling us, inviting us to come and follow Him. Jesus initiates the call to discipleship. And secondly, when Jesus calls the proper response is obedience. The proper response on our part is to hear and obey. It's not to make excuses. And to the credit of the disciples, these four men whom He called, they immediately obeyed Jesus and they followed Him. 
They're not like other would-be disciples later in the Gospels that we'll read about that'll make excuses and say, you know, well, I can't come to the banquet or I can't come to this because I've got these other plans or I have these other things that I need to do. The same thing happens today. You know, today, if you hear Jesus' voice, come to Him. The proper response is to obey and follow. It's not to put Him off and it's not to say, well, you know, let me take care of these other things first or I hope I get around to it before I die someday. We don't do that. When Jesus calls, we obey. You see, we can't be a disciple without obedience. And we can't be a disciple without repentance, without turning from our sin. And thirdly, whatever our vocation is, His purpose is to make us fishers of men. It's not just for those who will be involved in ministry, say, as a pastor or a missionary, but He calls all of us, all of us, to join with Him in this great opportunity, this great harvest of bringing the good news to those who have never heard it before. And each of you have a circle of friends or co-workers or people that you know that are unique to you. And God has placed you in your work, your neighborhood, your area of service to be a witness to those people around you. He wants all of us to be fishers of men involved in sharing the good news of the Gospel. And fourth, Jesus' method of discipleship was to work with a few and build into their life the heart of a disciple-maker. He did speak and teach and preach the multitudes, but when it came to making disciples, He chose to work with a few and build into their life these qualities, this heart of being a disciple-maker. Now let me give you an example of how that works. Leroy Leroy Imes has been with the Navigators for many years. He's written books on discipleship, and he tells about a time when he was visiting some missionaries overseas. And he was traveling with a veteran missionary who shared this story. He had worked in a country that was difficult, a country that had the potential of being closed to the gospel. In fact, 15 years later, it did close, and all the missionaries were asked to leave that country. And he said, when I arrived, I kind of followed the typical missionary approach of establishing programs and ministries and trying to do as much as we could with as many people as we could. And while I was there, there was this young man who came who had a different approach to ministry. His name was John, and he chose to focus on just a few young men. And I kept thinking that what he was doing was wrong. I mean, you know, you're just... you're just." working with a few individuals. How are we going to reach this whole country by doing that? And he watched this young man patiently teach and disciple and mentor these young men that he worked with. Fifteen years later, when the country closed, this veteran missionary said, you know, I had pastored a church there, and I'm not sure what happened. People would come on Sundays, they would gather together, but you know, they didn't know how to share their faith. And they didn't know how to make disciples. And when we left, the church scattered. But I look at what happened in the lives of those young men that John worked with. And he said one of the men he worked with is now a professor at the university. And this man is mightily used of God to reach and train scores of university students. 
Another is leading a witnessing and discipling team of about 40 young men and women. Another is in a nearby city with a group of 35 growing disciples around him. Three have gone on to other countries as missionaries and are now leading teams who are multiplying disciples. God is blessing their work, and I see the contrast between my life and John's, and it is tragic. I was so sure I was right, but what he was doing at the time seemed so insignificant, but now I look at the results, and they are staggering. You know, I think about that in terms of our ministry here. We gather on Sunday morning, and it's a great thing to come to gather in His presence. But the real heart of learning to be a disciple is what takes place in our small groups. It's in the times that we spend together digging into the Scripture, into the Word of God, and applying that to our life. It's meeting with an older Christian who can mentor you, help you in your relationship with Christ, who can pray for you. And we need that. All of us need that. It's not enough just to hear the Word. We need to, again, put it into practice in our life. And we need people who can encourage us, pray for us, and help us to do that. And so I really challenge you, you know, if you're not currently in a small group and you're going, you know, that's exactly what I need, I would encourage you to check out what we have to offer or talk to Pastor Jason. It's why we do things like the Truth Project or Christianity Explored or Discipleship Explored or we have the Beth Moore studies that the women are involved in. There are many different tools that can be used, but we want to help you grow deeper in your faith and become a disciple. Well, these four men, Peter, Andrew, James, and John, would be used by God to turn the world upside down. My question to you is, have you answered the call to follow Jesus? Have you answered His call? Are you growing as a disciple? And are you a disciple maker? Are you working with others and involved in helping them to grow in their relationship with Christ? That's a privilege and an opportunity that we all have. Well, thirdly, the third point is what we see in this passage is that Jesus transforms lives. And we see that in verses 23 to 25. Jesus went throughout Galilee. That would be that whole region, not just along the Sea of Galilee. And he was teaching in their synagogues. He was preaching the good news of the kingdom. And he was healing every disease and sickness among the people. And here we have this picture of Jesus. Jesus cares about people. And he cares about the whole person. He cares about our physical and our spiritual needs. I mean, that's why he invites us to come to him in prayer and ask for our daily bread. It's why he wants us to bring to him whatever is on our heart and come and pray and seek him and seek his will in our life. And his ministry in Galilee really included these three things. Teaching in the synagogues, which is more systematic instruction. It's kind of like what I do here when we work through the Scripture. Like right now, we're working through the Gospel of Matthew. Jesus taught in the synagogues. He preached the good news. That's really evangelism. It's proclaiming the good news of the kingdom. Good news is the word gospel or evangel. And he was proclaiming this good news about the kingdom of God that had broken into our world. And he went about healing every disease and sickness. He demonstrated his power. 
the reality of the kingdom, the promises of God who cares about us as individuals. He was showing that the kingdom of God had come near. And what we see in Jesus' ministry and what we feel in our own lives is a tension in that area, though. There are times when we look at Jesus' ministry and we long for that. He's not given that same power to us to walk through a hospital and heal everyone who is there and make them well and whole. Jesus could do that. We can't do that in the same way. He wants us to pray and to bring our requests before God. And so we do ask and we pray for healing. And there are times when we see miraculous healings. And there are times when we see God bring someone home to heaven. It's His will. We come before Him and we say, Not my will, but your will be done. But we come still and we pray in faith. And the tension that we live with in this present life is that the kingdom of God has already come near in Jesus. It's already here, but not yet in all of its fullness. It's not here where every problem has been solved and everyone is healed and well. The day is still coming when, quote, God will wipe away every tear from our eyes and there will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. That day's coming. Jesus' ministry on this earth was the foretaste of what that's going to be like. And that day is coming and that is our hope. And so we live between these two comings of Jesus. His first coming when He broke into our world and the kingdom of God is here, but we are awaiting His second coming and that day when He will make all things new. The result of Jesus' ministry was that large crowds of people came from all over Syria, Galilee, Judea, across the Jordan in regions like Perea or the Decapolis. The word spread and people came. And they came with their needs and they came to hear Jesus. And not all were believers. Some were just curious. Some were just... You know, thinking, well, this is the most interesting thing that's happened in our part of the world. I'm going to check it out. But many, many who heard came to place their faith in Jesus. And they answered His call. And what did Jesus do? Jesus changed their life. Jesus changes lives today. The Gospel is a life-transforming message. If you've come to know Christ as your Savior and Lord, you know that. You have a story you could tell of how God has changed your life. He does that over and over again. Let me tell you a story about one individual where that happened. In October of 1999, Payne Stewart, the golfer, was killed in a tragic plane accident. Less than six months before his death, he had won the PGA PGA Open for the second time. And a few days after that, his family and friends threw a party for him just to celebrate his victory. And uh, they gathered there and they had a big screen TV and they were showing the final round. And Payne Stewart stood there and he watched for the first time himself as he sank that final putt on the 18th hole and he won the PGA Open and he was being interviewed. And in that interview, he gave glory to God for what he had done in his life. And as Payne Stewart saw that, the tears just started to flow. 
And he, he turned away from the people. He started to walk away because he didn't want them to see him crying like that. And his pastor, J.B. Collingsworth, came over to him and looked him in the eye and the tears flowed. And Collinsworth said, I put my arms around him and I said, Payne, I just want you to know how much I appreciate what God's doing with your heart. And Payne Stewart looked at him and he said, J.B., he said, I'm never going to be a preacher. I'm never going to be a Bible thumper. I'm not going to stand on some stump. But I want everyone to know that it's Jesus. That it's Jesus who changed my life. I did some digging into that more and I found out that really what happened in Payne Stewart's life at that time when he died, he was still a pretty young believer. It was about three years earlier that his children, ages 10 and 14, had accepted Christ as their Savior and Lord. It was through a Baptist church in Orlando, Florida, where the family attended. And it was that event, even in his children's life and his wife's life, that got his attention, brought him to Christ, and he began to grow in his relationship with God. It may be of interest to you, too, to know that Tom Lehman from our area and Paul Azinger were uh, helpful with the pastor in doing the follow-up calls after the memorial service because there were many who wanted to know more and who came to know Christ as a result of his life and death. You know, we all can be a witness for Christ by our life and by our words. There's an opportunity, a privilege we have to tell others simply what God's done in our own life. doesn't matter what our vocation is. Again, you have a circle of people and friends that God wants you to reach with His love and with the good news. You can pray for Him. You can share the hope that you have. Evie Hill once said that the great temptation for the church is to become keepers of the aquarium rather than fishers of men. We can be so focused on what happens inside the walls that we forget about the needs of those who are outside the walls of the church and who need to know Christ and how will they know unless someone tells them. So there are three things that I want to encourage you to do and I think this is a wonderful time of year to do this too. I want you to pray. Who are you praying for? Who are you praying for that they might come to know Christ? I want you to invite, to think about who you can invite to church or to your home to build relationships and to become friends and to share what's going on in your life. And then thirdly, I want you to share the good news. Who needs to hear the gospel in your circle of friends? And some of you feel very comfortable as tellers and sharing that message, and some of you are maybe hesitant, and you could be bringers. You could bring them to church. You could bring them to a small group or another outreach opportunity so they could hear the good news. But those three things, each of us, do. And I'd like you to think about that in this season as we move toward Christmas, who it is that you could pray for, invite, and share with. Let's pray. Father, it's not hard for us to do, but sometimes we are hesitant. We let life be so busy or we let our fears get in the way that we don't take the initiative. And Father, I pray that all of us would become prayers and bringers and tellers. That you would make us fishers of men. 
And that starts in our own heart, our own relationship with You. Help us to be growing in our faith. Help us to be obedient to the things that You ask us to do. And would You use us as a church and as individuals to share this good news widely so that we might see many in our community, our neighborhoods, our places of work come to know Christ as their Savior and Lord too. We ask it for His sake. And in Jesus' name, Amen. Would you stand with us as we close today? Mm-hmm.